In this episode, we're going to talk about how people can respect you even while you're tearing apart everything that they believe. Hey everybody, my name is Ray Burns, and I want to equip Christians to think biblically about every area of life so that they can keep growing in spiritual maturity. As always, I want to thank my monthly supporters over on Patreon who help make Onward in the Faith possible month by month. If you'd like to join them in supporting this podcast and keeping the lights on, you can go to patreon.com slash onward in the faith, or just check the links down in the show notes. Now, last week, we talked about straw man arguments. And as a quick recap for everyone, a straw man argument is essentially when we take a belief that we don't agree with. And we say, hey, here's what they believe. But essentially, we lie about it. We misrepresent it. We blow certain things out of proportion or we suppress or manipulate or lessen good points of that belief system. Ultimately, the goal being to just kind of show off about how easily we can pick apart a belief system or how strong our own beliefs look when compared to this really weak caricature of a belief system and these are called straw man arguments because it's like being a boxer and beating up a scarecrow right a a man made of straw and pretending that you've done anything noteworthy by by uh, demolishing a worthwhile opponent and so the big uh, thrust last week was on why this isn't just dishonoring to our opponents or even dishonoring to God, but it's outright sin. It is intentional lying. And even though the rest of the world does it, and it is wildly popular on basically every area of places where people disagree, that's not an excuse for followers of Jesus Christ to take part in it. It is an act of darkness. It is sinfully motivated, and therefore we as Christians don't want to get involved in, in uh, straw man arguments when we can help it. I also alluded to an alternative, which are called steel man arguments, which is what we're going to talk about in this episode. So we're essentially going to talk about the basics of what a steel man argument is, how to build one, and then eight benefits of using steel man arguments, either when you are directly disagreeing with someone or when you're talking about your beliefs and talking about another perspective that stands in contrast to your beliefs. So for example, if you're uh, teaching a class in Sunday school or something and you're talking about atheism versus uh, theism, then you would present atheism as a steel man argument, even if there's not an atheist there, you are still presenting it in such a way that is honoring and respectful. So, uh, the core, the essence of Steelman arguments is to present the strongest possible case for your opponents. So, if you are talking directly to someone, then it is stating or restating their beliefs and making sure that they agree with how you are understanding what it is that they believe. So, if you are talking to, say, an atheist, then when you're talking to them, a straw man argument example that we used last time is saying, oh, well, you just believe we evolved from monkeys. Instead, an accurate or a steel man argument that we could make for the beliefs of an atheist would be to say something like, if I'm understanding you correctly, or if I understand your beliefs correctly, then you believe that we started, that the whole universe started from, say, nothing. And then there was some event that happened where matter came into being and then 
perhaps like the Big Bang, exploded outward, and over billions of years, life started forming in very simple stages, and then continually adapted and then evolved over, again, billions and billions of years until more complex life started coming. And as the species evolved, you believe that a kind of common ancestor was in a way the foundation of what we have then evolved into as homo sapiens. But then you would also agree that uh, primates share a similar ancestor, even though we are different species, you know, something like that. It is longer winded, but that's kind of the point because straw man arguments love very simple, punchy over exaggerations and oversimplifications of someone's belief system. But when we do that, we miss a lot of what it is that they truly believe and then just kind of fill in the gaps with our own mockery and criticism. So when we say, oh, you just believe we evolved from monkeys, that is a very simplified reduction of what an atheist believes, so much so that the reason we say it like that is because we say that sounds so stupid that you would believe that we came from monkeys. And so the strength then of the Steelman arguments is that when we can accurately, as to the best of our ability, represent what someone believes, then there's going to be some benefits to it, both for them and for us. And so what I'd like to do now as we understand Steelman arguments is to really just go through what I think are eight benefits that we are going to see as we are accurately and fairly representing someone's argument and even perhaps not representing it in a way that they would say, oh yeah, that's, that's pretty close. That's good enough. But representing it in such a way that people are actually shocked and impressed. And even they can learn something about their own belief system because we have done so much work. We have cared enough to understand their position so well that your, maybe your average person who hasn't fully thought through everything they believe about be it atheism or Catholicism or uh, the ethics of abortion, they can hear us talk and better understand what their position actually stands for and believes so that then we can present them an alternative that's even better than the strongest version of their own beliefs. So let's just talk again about um, eight benefits or eight reasons that we should care about Steelman arguments. Number one, it shows our opponents that we respect them. So as I said, if someone can hear how we are representing their argument and not just say, oh, that's pretty close, but actually agree, yes, this is what I believe, you're completely right, then at the very basic level, they're going to know that we care enough to try to understand their beliefs. It's not just this thing where we are ignorant people who refuse to understand what this person believes, but instead... We have concern and care and thought for them as complete, full, and rational human beings, and we care enough to understand what it is that they believe, what it is that we are saying that we disagree with. We aren't disagreeing with some kind of cartoony version of someone's beliefs, but we are showing them, hey, I know that you are a real person who really believes that this is an accurate reflection of reality. Here is what I have studied about it, and yet I still disagree with it. And at the end of the day, when we are talking to people, our point isn't to 
necessarily win an argument, right? It's to stand for truth. And so when we are challenging someone in their beliefs and accurately representing what they believe, and we are arguing against truth of their beliefs instead of these things that we have made up and are therefore tearing down, then that person listening to us and engaging with us, they're going to know that we are not starting from a position of hostility or manipulation or ignorance, but instead we are starting from a position of strength in understanding what they believe. So number one, it shows people we disagree with that we respect them enough to understand what they believe or what we are saying they are wrong about. Number two, and this is a little more on us, is that it demands that we use empathy with those we disagree with. So empathy being not just the ability to understand that someone is feeling something, but understanding why, being able to put ourselves in their shoes. A lot of times we think of empathy in terms of uh, if someone has lost a loved one, sympathy is feeling bad that they are sad. Empathy is trying to understand what it is that they are experiencing. And belief systems are very similar. We can understand how someone could live their life in the culture and in the world and in the time that they live in and grow to understand something about the world. And I would argue that it is very difficult to understand someone's belief and really engage with it in a personal level without trying to understand why that person believes it. Because we can memorize all kinds of facts about Jehovah's Witnesses or what homosexuals say about why they believe what they believe. We can have all these facts memorized, but if we aren't trying to understand the people who believe it and understand why it is that they believe that thing that we clearly believe is wrong, we're not going to get very far. Because belief is not just the necessarily memorization of the strongest facts. It's not this cold, dead thing. Facts are important, and logic and reason are vital to life and our belief systems. But there is a reason why someone can be presented with unassailable logic and facts that just can't be argued, and yet they will still believe something very differently. And that comes down to that personal empathetic thing of, okay, why? Why must they feel they have to believe this thing? Why are they rejecting what is clearly true? And so we can, when we can try to get into the minds of people to understand why they believe what they believe, then we're going to be able to talk to them and better address their personal problems, or I should say their personal um issues that they may have with our belief or why they have to believe in theirs. And at the end of the day, we're going to treat them not as a, a sack of bones and blood that says things we don't like, but instead as true human beings, people who either have Jesus Christ or are in desperate need of Jesus Christ. And we're going to treat them as human beings and be able to talk to them and disagree with them and present truth to them in a way that is honoring to our God because we are honoring one of his creations. We are honoring one of his image bearers. Now, obviously, that does not mean that we have to say, oh, well, what you if that's what you want to believe, that's fine. There is a huge difference, and I think in our culture today, it's probably even lost on the fact that you can disagree with someone 
you can say that everything that they believe is wrong and still love them. And even you can do it because you love that person. Because again, if we are fighting for souls, if we are fighting for people to believe in truth instead of just fighting for our own position, then how we engage with people, how we think about people, how we empathize with them is going to be reflected in that. The third benefit to using Steelman arguments is that it forces us to work out our own beliefs. So really think about this. If we're going to invest time and energy and effort in understanding opposing beliefs, it only makes sense for us to spend just as much time finding the strengths and weaknesses of our own beliefs. And so the goal here isn't to say, oh, well, I've put in one hour of understanding the other position. So if I just put in an hour and a half understanding mine, then that's good enough. No, the goal here is to respect people enough to put in the time to truly understand and accurately represent their beliefs, but also obviously desire to know our own beliefs just as intimately. Because when we do that, then what we present to people is going to essentially just be two sides that have been studied equally and weighed equally. And they're going to see that we still hold to this belief, despite having intimate knowledge of something that someone is so convinced is true. Now, number four, and this is obviously closely linked to the previous point, but number four is that it proves that we're on the side of truth. So let's assume for a moment, and I know this isn't always going to be true, but let's assume for a moment that we have two beliefs being presented. We have our position and someone else's position, and only one of them is true. Now, how can we best understand which of them is true? Well, if we want to be fair and accurate and unbiased in it and even be willing for us to be wrong, the best thing we can do is to present each position at 100% of its strength without hiding anything, without refusing to engage with anything, without ignoring the weaknesses of one or the other or overemphasizing the weaknesses of one compared to the other. When we give a 100% accurate presentation of two belief systems, the true one is going to be the one that clearly wins out. Now, obviously, I am saying that in a cold, calculated environment, right? As though we are doing a balancing scale and saying which one has the greater weight of evidence. Again, we have to realize that people believe what they believe, not because it is the most convincing, but because there are other things in their life that force them to believe it. So let's use a position that a lot of people listening to this would stand by, and that is that Christianity is true. Now, there are people out there who, like me and I hope like you, have looked at the evidence, have looked at everything else in the world and said, the only thing that accurately represents reality is what God's word teaches. However, many of us have probably known at least one person who they were in Christianity and, and could maybe even recite all the evidences for it, but they were in it for different reasons. Maybe it was comfortable. Maybe it was because that's what they had been born into. Maybe they were using it as a support system and any old thing would have sufficed, but Christianity is the thing that helped them to, you know, want to quit drinking and things like that. And at the end of the day, as God's word says, there are people who will go through life claiming to live for Jesus Christ, claiming to represent Christ, but 
on that day of judgment, they'll say, Lord, Lord, look at all this stuff we did. And Christ will say, I never knew you. So it is possible for people to believe one thing or another for reasons that aren't just because it's clearly worth believing. But even when we are engaging with people like that, people who believe in evolution or that spiritual gifts are or are not still active, when we have fully weighed all the evidence for that person and helped them to work through it themselves as well, then at the end of the day, what we're showing them is that our concern is not being right, right? It's our concern isn't proving that our team is the right team because that's the team we've chosen, but instead showing them that at the end of the day, we are concerned for truth and we have encouraged them to view it in that way. We have shown them that, hey, I can accurately understand your position, even if I disagree with it. And we can invite them to say, hey, don't worry about whose side is right. Worry about what is clearly true. And so again, that weighing of evidence, that taking 100% of our belief and 100% of an opposing belief and weighing them together and accurately representing each, at the end of the day, that should go a long way in showing that what we believe is clearly worth believing. Or, or we may realize that when we've done the work, that thing that we were so convinced of is maybe not as strong or convincing once we've removed emotion and tribalism and our personal reasons for believing it. And we realize maybe it's not as worth holding as we originally thought. Now, number five is that Steelman arguments prove that we don't have anything to hide. We talked about how with Strawman arguments, the essential foundation, the essential goal of them is to lie by manipulating facts. And so when we are making strawman arguments amongst our group of friends, it doesn't really matter to most people if we do that. We can villainize Catholics and their prayer to the saints all we want. We can talk about, oh yeah, they're, they're basically just polytheists. You know, they're, they're no different than the people who worship the Greek gods. They've got all these saints and they pray to them for, you know, weather and harvest and childbirth and stuff like that. They're no different than those pagans from back in the day. And people around us who like to villainize Catholics will pat us on the back and cheer and say, yeah, that's right. You're so correct. Good job being such a good biblical scholar and understanding the truth of the world. And it makes us feel better when we do that, right? Because it, that is what we call an echo chamber. We say something and people basically just parrot it back to us. And we feel like, yes, this is clearly the truth because look how many people agree with me and look how no one disagrees with me. But again, all we're doing is we are sitting in ignorance. We are manipulating the truth of a thing and lying about what other people believe. And oftentimes we do that possibly innocently because we haven't done the work. We've been too lazy. We've heard from, you know, third or fourth sources telling us what someone's belief system is. And then we just regurgitate it for other people. And we just keep this cycle going. But while that is not good, but while it at least works in our friend group or in our church group, it really falls apart when we try engaging with people who do believe in that. So if you're talking to a Catholic and we say to them, you know, I don't know how you can believe in Catholicism. The Bible says don't pray to other gods. And yet you sit here and pray to these other gods. You just pretend that they're, you call them saints. Now, if we're talking to someone who truly understands 
their their Roman Catholic beliefs, they are not going to listen to anything else we say because we have immediately started off by misrepresenting their belief and what they do in a way that isn't even close to being accurate. And so when people hear us do that, or when we talk to others like that, we are telling people, hey, let's not really engage with what they believe. Because what other people are going to hear is that we are afraid to accurately represent it because they might be right. So instead, we're going to villainize it and make it, you know, this this ridiculous belief that only children would think about. You know, we we reduce someone's beliefs and we misrepresent it so much that when people hear it, they think, okay, they are not willing to accurately engage with what I truly believe. They must be hiding something. They must be afraid of what it is that I really believe because they can only only tackle, they can only argue against my beliefs as long as it's this ridiculous thing that I don't even believe. And so with steel man arguments, we tell people we aren't ashamed. We're not afraid of what you believe. The strongest position, the strongest evidence that you have in your system is something I've already dealt with. I've already engaged with it. And I am still unconvinced. I still have faith in what it is that I believe in. And let me tell you why. And people are going to go from asking, okay, why are they hiding? Why are they manipulating? And instead, they're going to go to realizing that we stand for our beliefs despite what examining what that person is so convinced is true. And number six, steel man arguments shift our focus to others. So in our culture today, we have been trained and conditioned to be so embarrassed of being wrong that we have to be right at all costs. We cannot admit, hey, that person that I thought was worth following or trusting, that that belief system that I fought for, my, that interpretation of a part of God's word, we are embarrassed and ashamed to admit when we are wrong. So we will double down and just keep fighting for our side, our original position. And when we do that, we are no longer fighting for truth, but we are fighting for us. We are ashamed of admitting that we were wrong. And so we will do whatever it takes not to have to do that, not to have to feel like we're letting the other side win by exposing ourselves and being weak in front of them. And that's a very secular and worldly mentality to take on. And it's ultimately boils down to pride because it's all about us. We can't admit we're wrong, but we are more than happy to acknowledge when someone else is wrong. Well, that's loving ourselves more than others. That's honoring us more than we honor someone else. But when we are using Steelman arguments, one aspect of it is that it's not about us. It's about truth and about loving others enough to understand truth instead of just understanding our own position. And on top of that, not only are we maybe stepping outside ourselves and saying, it's not about my beliefs, but instead my beliefs are just based on truth and here's why. But we are also loving other people enough to see that they are, you know, in a ser in serious situations, you know, whether it's abortion, whether it is Buddhism or atheism or the even the prosperity gospel we are loving those people enough to see that what you believe is an accurate reflection of reality isn't just misguided it is wrong and harmful and dangerous in some cases what other people believe 
is basically a track to hell. And we want to love people enough to say, you are on the road to destruction. You are going to die without a true belief in Jesus Christ. Or you are a Christian and you are believing something that is harmful to the body, that is against God's will. And we love them enough to say, here is what I understand that you believe, but here's why it's wrong. Here's why it is not accurate. Here's why it does not reflect the reality of God in the world that he's created. Now, number seven is that Steelman arguments will grow our humility. And I kind of alluded to this earlier, but when we are trying to understand an opposing argument and we are truly studying it, we're not just saying, what do people on my side say about it? But instead, what do they believe? So if you study, say, Greek Orthodoxy, we have Christians in our own circles who will tell you, well, here's what Greek Orthodox theology is and what they believe. But if you actually listen to them talk or read the things that they write, you'll realize that the things that we assumed about them and the things that we accuse them of are very misguided. And there's a reason that while it seems so easy for us to pick apart and tear down, there's a reason that people for centuries have believed in this, this aspect of Christianity. And so for a lot of times, and what I have personally experienced is that whenever there is something I disagree with and I say to myself, oh, that is ridiculous. How could anyone believe it? I immediately know that I do not know enough about it. And so when that happens for me and for you, we have two options. We can realize I don't know enough about it, but I don't care. Or we can realize, I don't know enough about it. I should go understand it at least a little better before I make these blanket statements on why these people are wrong. And that may even force us to go back to things that we've said in the past and acknowledge to people that we were wrong, that we were unfair, that we were hasty in our generalizations, and we created this easy-to-beat-up straw man that represented their beliefs and that we were wrong. Even though we still disagree with them, we were wrong with the approach that we took and the things that we said. Again, this takes humility because it forces us not to focus on ourselves and what we say and how we look, but instead we have to look at truth, look at other people, and say, either I was wrong and, and this belief, this understanding is correct, and we may have to go back on you know, hundreds of things that we've shared online or talked about with others, or we say, I was wrong in how I understood it and how I represented it. And so having done the study, having done the work, I still disagree with it, but now I can at least know what it is that I'm truly disagreeing with. And at the end of the day, this grows our humility in another place in that just as we hope that people will understand that we say things because we don't know everything. We don't have all perfect knowledge. We also want to extend that same kindness and understanding to others in that when they say things, rather than immediately pouncing on it, even though they acknowledge that they were mistaken on something, we can acknowledge and say, okay, I understand. You thought this thing, you said this thing, you now know better, so let's go on with where we are. And then the last thing is an important one for Christians. So up to now, these first seven are in general, 
why steel man arguments are important to make and why straw man arguments are weak. And to a degree, they can apply to anyone, right? Even those outside of Christ can appreciate the value of steel man arguments. But this last one is really where all of this comes together. You know, all of these have been kind of building a, you know, individual pieces of a picture. And now here's what this picture is. And that is that by not only rejecting straw man arguments, but embracing steel man arguments by accurately understanding and representing other people's positions and explaining truth to them from that foundation of knowledge and understanding, it shows the world that God's people really are different. And as God's people, that's something that should be important to us. We want them to see that we aren't going to be like the rest of the world that lies about people they disagree with. We aren't going to be like the rest of the world who is too lazy to understand other positions or who just believe what they believe because, well, that's what they were told to believe. That's what they grew up believing. That's just what feels good to them. But instead, it shows God's people as people who love truth and reject the patterns of the world. So I like to just look at a few aspects of what God tells us about living in this world as his people. So first is that the things that we do shows the world what we believe and who we belong to. So James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Proverbs 20.11 even a child makes himself known by his acts, by whether his conduct is pure and upright. And then Luke 6.45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, all three of these passages have one thing in common, and they are focused on our actions. Not our actions to save us, not our actions to earn righteousness, but our actions define how people view us because our actions define what it is that we truly believe. So if you are someone who, say, constantly worries about getting sick and your whole life is focused around just avoiding every single bit of sickness and, you know, if you do enough good, if you eat healthy enough, if you avoid this and that, then you will earn a sickness-free life. Well, what that shows to people is that we're not having faith in God to be the one in control of disease because even the healthiest people can be stricken by cancer. And it also shows that our greatest desire in life is to be healthy and that we will sacrifice anything at the expense of that. Now, that's obviously not to say that we should just go licking Petri dishes or anything like that. But there is an intensity that some people can live with in terms of fearing all forms of sickness and therefore refusing to live the life that God calls them to because of that. And so in terms of our discussion, when people see that we are making strong arguments, that we are understanding other aspects, and that we are trying to be fair and accurate and even forgiving for other people's mistakes, then they're going to see that we are behaving really weirdly Right? We're behaving in a way that they don't want to behave, they don't want to think, they don't see other people on our side behaving like. And they're going to see that Christians 
are not like the world. We aren't just people who slap on the label of Christian and then go on behaving like everyone else. But instead, there is something genuinely transforming in the life of someone who confesses their sin and asks Jesus Christ to save them. So what we do shows what we believe and who we belong to. On top of that, another aspect is that the world should see us differently by what we do. So Matthew 7, 16 to 18 says, You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. So as the world is seeing us, are they seeing the actions and behaviors of someone who is in love with sin and an enemy of God? Are we behaving and thinking and having the same desires and the same thought patterns as those people who love to lie, who find their identity in anything but Jesus Christ? Or are people going to see our actions, see our behaviors, hear our beliefs, and realize that the things that we do are growing from a good plant? And conversely, that should challenge us. If we are sharing things online, talking about things amongst our friends, accusing people of certain things, and they are based in lies, whether intentional or just kind of a casual thing we don't even think about, we need to ask ourselves, who are we following? Who are we loving in that moment? Are we loving the things of the world or are we loving the things of God? Because as we talked about last time, whenever we spread lies about other people, about other belief systems, and we're expecting a high five from someone, we're going to get it. But we're not going to get a high five from God. We're going to get a high five from Satan. The father of lies is going to be tickled pink at the, the fact that God's children are willing to lie about other people. So we need to let people represent us or to uh, see who we represent by our fruits, to see that the things that we do are born out of what it is that we truly believe. And then if you want to see more of this, go look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 26, which is the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit, and see where steel man arguments would fall into one of those categories and where straw man arguments would fall into those categories. And that should, again, help us better understand why it matters how we represent people and whether the things we accuse them of are accurate or just lazy lies. Now, another reason why thinking this way matters to Christians is that we are supposed to base our lives in truth and reason. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 5 and 6 says that we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Matthew 22:37 And he said to them, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind." And then Jude 10, "But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively." So, Again, all three of these are getting at a simple point, and that is that the things that we think, how we feed our minds, the things that we choose to think about or believe matters. We are called to take every thought captive to Christ. That, that means 
not being transformed by the world and just letting what we believe and what we think be molded by whatever news source we listen to or whatever our friends say, but instead we are actively engaged in our thinking process and making sure that everything we believe, everything that we trust in, everything we think, and therefore everything we say and do is falling under the authority of Christ. It is captive to him. He holds it all. Everything that we do is bound to him. Likewise, we are called to love the Lord our God with our minds, not with our emotions, not with our just actions, but with our minds. Because again, the core of who we are determines what comes out of us. It determines what we say and do and think. And so when we are loving God with our minds, everything is going to flow out of that because everything we do is based on what we believe to be true. And that is further reinforced in that Jude 10 passage, which says that people blaspheme what they don't understand because they they behave like unreasoning animals, right? They don't understand the things that they blaspheme. And so they attack it. They hate the things of God because that is just core to their nature. What we believe, how we think, what we feed into our minds matters. And then topping all this off, when we are fighting for truth, we aren't just fighting for truth as a general broad concept. We don't fight for truth because that's just our side and we all need to fight for something. But we are representing Christ when we fight for truth. So 1 Peter 2.12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So I've said it several times across the past 100 plus episodes on this podcast, but when people hate us, they should hate us because of Christ instead of hating Christ because of us. In other words, when people speak against us because of our stance on homosexuality, abortion, murder, sin just in general, what we say about holy living, whatever it is, whatever people hate about what we say, especially when they hate what we say just about sin, salvation, and the gospel. People need to look at our lives, look at the things we do and say, and logically really have nothing bad to say about us. They should not be able to say, oh, look, they're full of liars, they're full of hateful people, they're full of of idiots who are just ignorant and don't understand truth and just make up lies and refuse to accurately represent people. Instead, as Peter's pointing out here, People should be able to speak against us as evildoers, but still have nothing bad to say about us. They can hate us because we represent Christ and his truth, but they should not have any basis for their accusations against us other than they preach about Jesus. Now, later on in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Again, foreign concepts to the world. When we are explaining why we believe something, or not we, when when people, right, just the world, the culture we live in, when people are explaining why they believe something, they will be very disrespectful to the other side. Easy example, straw man arguments. Lying about what someone believes, making weak, 
false, petty accusations against someone is not respecting someone. Being angry and railing against someone and calling them horrible things, that's not gentleness. And yet that is what God calls us to. He calls us to defend what we believe. We aren't supposed to be doormats. We aren't supposed to just say, oh, well, you know, I want to keep the peace. So you just believe what you want to believe. No, we're called to stand for the truth. We're called to fight for the truth, to speak the truth into the lives of people who need to hear it. But we are called to do so with gentleness and respect because we represent Jesus Christ. We are representing the truth. We are just mouthpieces. We are just tools that God uses in the lives of others. It's not about us. It's about Christ. And when we lie, when we make straw man arguments, we make it about us. And then finally, Ephesians 4 verses 1 to 3 says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So when we are dealing with other Christians, we want to make sure that we are, one, fighting for the things that matter. You know, don't fight about things that are matters of conscience or matters of interpretation. But what, even when, though, we are fighting for things that truly do matter, things that allow false doctrine and false belief and even a false gospel to creep into the church, we want to do so with humility and gentleness and patience. We want to treat others in the church with love, even when they're wrong, even when they are spouting heresy. We don't want to leave them in their ignorance. We don't want to leave them in their falsehood. But when we are, in a way, rescuing them from it, we want to do so in a way that is worthy of us being called children of God and followers of Jesus Christ. And then, in a bigger sense, God here is also calling us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And I think, again, that gets to the the core of living lives that accurately represent Jesus Christ, to remember who it is that we belong to, who it is that we are representatives of. So in a secular sense, if someone was a diplomat to a foreign country or an ambassador, we would want them, you know, for those of us living in America, we would want someone to be an ambassador for America and to represent us in a foreign country in a way that is worthy of what they've been called to do. We would not want someone to go to a foreign country representing us in the things that we believe, the things that we desire, the things that we believe are good and right. We would not want them as a country to go to a foreign country and take part in murder or genocides or to lie and cheat and steal, right? Because the things that that single person does represents us to an entire country. And so how how they behave is how, in that case, America is behaving. Similarly, if we are walking, called to walk in a manner that's worthy of what God has called us to, that means that we are also representatives of Christ. So when we lie, we say that God condones lying. When we are angry, we believe that God condones getting angry at people simply for what they say to us instead of engaging with them in truth. You know, when we shut people out, when we shut them down, when we yell over them, when we belittle them, when we refuse to accurately represent them, when we refuse to even talk to them, and it, but instead just kind of share 
you know, nonsense and, and tell others what they believe without listening to what that person truly believes. All of those aren't just making us look like morons. It makes God look like a moron. And that is not walking worthily of what Christ has done in our lives and what he's called us to. So again, with all of this, with this whole discussion in these past two episodes, the whole point is very simply, we need to love our God enough to represent him accurately to others, even when we disagree with those people. So to kind of sum up this final point, as followers of Jesus Christ, we've been called out from the world. We've been called to think and act differently from the rest of the world. That means that what we believe and therefore what we do should be completely alien to what the rest of the world believes and does. And so today, the world exists in a very us versus them mentality. And because of that, people in the world are willing to lie about another person's beliefs to make themselves look better. And if that is what the world does, and the world does that from a sinful motivation, if that is not in line with God's character, God's word, or what God desires for us, then we can have no part in behaving like the rest of the world. And that includes sharing things online or through email or text. That includes the things that we say in the comfort and safety of our friend groups and people who believe what we believe. That means that we can have absolutely no part in that darkness. We cannot provoke, provoke, promote, excuse me, the things of evil and wickedness and darkness. We are to promote things that are good and right and holy before our God. And so what we do in this world matters because we represent Christ. So if we are lying, if we are creating divisions unnecessarily in the church or between us and unbelievers, or if we're just too lazy to understand our own beliefs, that reflects on God. And by that, I mean that a lot of times we use straw man arguments, not because necessarily we want to lie about someone else, but because we are afraid. We're afraid that our own beliefs are not strong enough, that we don't understand our beliefs accurately enough. And so we have to make an opposing argument that is weaker than what we individually believe. And that's laziness. That's fear. We don't want to do the work to make sure we truly understand why we believe what we believe. But instead, we want to be comfortable in sitting in what we believe, but we don't want to be challenged. We don't want to do the hard work and we don't want to risk being wrong. And so we surround ourselves with the comfort of knowing that even though we don't understand what we believe and even if challenged, we couldn't defend our own faith and our own beliefs and why we do what we do or believe what we believe, at least we don't look as bad as the other side as we understand them and as we talk about them. That's that laziness there. But at the end of the day, all of that reflects on our God. It shows how much we care about our beliefs, how accurate and true we think it is, what we say God stands for and condones. And so even in those instances when we're not giving the gospel directly, but we are just standing as Christians saying things, we are telling people, hey, here is what it means to be a follower of Christ. If you want to love God, if you want to escape the penalty of your sin, here is what a life looks like for someone who believes that. It's filled with lies and laziness and anger and misrepresentation. 
and tribalism and division and pettiness. So if you want to be saved from your sin, come be like me. We, we, we don't want to be like that. We don't want to say that that is what God stands for, but we do. Everything we do points people to Christ, whether we intend for it to or not. But when we don't do what the world does, that also sends a message. When we refuse to get involved in spreading lies, when we talk about other belief systems and people who disagree with everything we stand for can still say, well, yeah, no, you you accurately represented me. That also sends a message. That also tells people something about the God that we love and worship. And so how we fight for truth matters. How we represent truth matters. We can be like the rest of the world and show people that Christianity is just one of many options. Or we can be so different that people have no choice but to take notice that we are willing to be fair and accurate. And despite all of that, despite knowing other belief systems so well, despite knowing other options and positions so well, we still, for some reason, stand by the truth of God. So let's wrap up this two-part discussion. I am not going to sit here and pretend that everything we've talked about is easy to live out. It is very much a case of easier said than done, especially, again, in the culture we live in where we, without realizing it, are just encouraged not to do this hard work, not to create steelman arguments. And maybe for some people, this is a totally new concept. This idea of being fair to other people, to accurately representing them, to studying other beliefs, not to just find everything wrong with it, but to find not only their strengths and weaknesses, but maybe even our own strengths and weaknesses. That is not something we are trained to do. That's not something that is represented really anywhere in much of the media that we consume. And I will be honest, I don't always do this perfectly. Now, there's been times where people have have noted uh, some content I've created has been surprisingly fair and loving. Um, I think most recently I got several comments from people on my uh, article and episode on uh, my thoughts on the Roe versus Wade decision and how I accurately and lovingly represented people who were for abortion or for the the freedom to choose. And in that moment, Christ was glorified because I thought and acted in a way that was accurate to him. But there's also been times in the past, I know, whether uh, in this ministry or in my own life, that I have not been fair, that I have been lazy or too prideful to give a fair representation to another side that I don't believe in. And so again, it's it's hard and it takes work and none of us are going to do it perfectly and none of us, because none of us are perfect. But this is something that matters because it gives glory to God when we do it. And it gives glory to God when we fail to do it, realize that we failed to do it, and then somehow make it right. Whether it's asking for forgiveness, whether it is acknowledging that we did something wrong, or even that we were incomplete in the things that we said. Everything we do has the opportunity to bring glory to God. Even when we failed, we can still bring glory to God in that failure. But it's no small task. It's really not. Just just understanding our own beliefs, just as Christians, is a lifelong pursuit, let alone 
adding on, trying to understand other beliefs. But when our lives are dedicated to God, and God doesn't just get, you know, 10, 15 minutes a day from us, then this becomes slightly easier and slightly more normal for us. And finally, not only is it hard in a personal sense, but it can be hard to do it amongst other people. You know, unfortunately, there are other Christians out there who, if we are being accurate and saying, well, I understand why someone would, would, as a Christian, promote gay marriage or be for or against a certain Bible version or whatever it is, we are not going to get a lot of praise from people around us to say, well, okay, let's be fair. Let's be accurate. Let's try to understand them because we just don't want that as people. We don't. It's much easier to just plug our ears and mock others' beliefs or any number of things that we've talked about. And so it can feel like a lonely thing sometimes. But if we are convinced that it is sinful for us to misrepresent people and lie about them, then it doesn't matter how others respond or react to us. What matters is that we are seeking to give glory to our God. We won't do it perfectly. We will mess up possibly more often than we succeed. But at the end of the day, our greatest desire is to love our God, who is a God of truth, and therefore to love truth in the same way that he does. To stand for truth, to love people enough to know why they think something is true, and to understand for ourselves and help others understand why the things that we believe are the only things worth believing. So, as a follower of Christ, I want these two episodes to encourage you and even equip you to keep seeking to understand other beliefs so well that you can explain them accurately and without lying. On the flip side, I also want to encourage and equip you to keep growing in your own beliefs, either strengthening them or being willing to challenge them, challenge their weaknesses, seek out the things that you don't fully understand. And through that, make sure that either you are confident you are standing on the side of truth or be willing to abandon something that you have fought so hard for for so many years because when looked at fairly and objectively, you realize that maybe that thing you believe, that interpretation, that understanding, that practice, maybe you realize it's not as close to the truth as you first thought. So don't make hasty decisions one way or another, but make sure you take the time to seek out what truth is. And most of all, as I hope this last part of the episode has encouraged you and reminded you, keep pointing others to Jesus Christ as you represent him and his truth to the world. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. If this ministry is a blessing to you, there are three ways that you can support it. You can pray for Ray and Onward in the Faith itself. You can share this episode with others, or you can help with various expenses by visiting patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith or following the link in the show notes. We hope this episode has encouraged you to keep moving onward in your faith towards maturity in Christ.